presence of the Lord shows up. Maybe I am. Maybe I'm just going deaf. So good. I think we just wait. We just learn to abide. It's realistically, that's what the Christian life is. It's John 17. It's learning to abide. It's where Jesus says that I pray that they may become one like you and I, talking about the Father. I pray that they become one like you and I are one. And I pray that they become one with us. I mean, it's just this crazy prayer. And uh, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for this church that uh, where we are okay with the Holy Spirit moving. It's not everyone's cup of tea, and that's okay. I'm all right with that because it's our cup of tea. Amen. Come on. <laughs> it's our cup of tea. And I'm not saying that pompously. I'm not saying that arrogantly. I'm just saying I, I thank you that we're, we're okay singing the same chorus over and over and over, and we don't go, is he ever going to finish that, right? Yeah. It's like if the Lord's not finished moving, we're not That's moving right. forward. Come on. I'm thankful for a church that even gathered around me. Uh, I'm thankful for your prayer this morning. You, it shifted something. I'm stalling because I don't know where I'm going. I know where I'm going. I just know how to get there. Let's say that. I've, uh, <laughs> please. I'm thankful for a church that you can get so lost in the Holy Spirit that you don't even hear the chorus singing over and over again. Amen. Praise right. God. Come on. Amen. I told April just yesterday, I was looking at the calendar, and I said, how profound is it that January 13th, which will be our two-year anniversary, is on a Sunday this year? <laughs> we, we launched on a Friday, Friday the 13th, because we took back the Devil's Day, and our two-year anniversary is on a Sunday. All right, I've got it now. Uh, Luke 14, and I'm going to be honest, we're going to probably be in Luke 14 for a while. Okay, um, there's so much in this, and a lot of this you've heard me been like praying out. Because um, there, there's one thing I actually had a, um, actually sat down with someone the other day. It was real humbling. They wanted me to sit down and talk to them about my process, like how do I write a sermon? And I'm like, well, I technically don't write sermons anymore. Right. Um, which I have notes. I have notes, so I don't chase every rabbit. But I really try to just share what the Lord's doing in my own heart and life. Because I used to think this, like this sounds like, ugh, it's gross. But I used to think, I need to share this with my church because they need to hear this. That's the process over the last 10 years. That, that's the change. Is that 10 years ago, I wanted to share from a point what I thought my people needed. And now I just want to share what the Lord's doing in my heart because I think that if it touches me, it's going to touch at least one person in here. And if it touches no one else, at least I got something from it. I mean, that's, that's and I, I mean that with all sincerity. It's like Logan has said this, April has said this, like with worship, like I never want our worship leaders to sing a song that doesn't mean something to them. 
Because if it doesn't touch their heart, it probably won't touch our hearts as they lead us in that. You know that. You led worship too. And so uh, I've been like enamored with this passage and really just with this idea of the table. And that's this new series we're going to start. Like, I don't want to put a timeline on it because I could probably preach the next year and a half on this. <laughs> I probably won't do that, but, but at least for right now, this is where we're going to be. So Luke 14, and uh, that's enough introduction. Luke 14, start with verse 16. It says, but he said to him, but he said to him, a man was giving a big dinner and he invited many. <laughs> and at the dinner hour, these first two verses are like just pivotal for where we're headed, where the Lord's taken us. But he said to him, a man was giving a big dinner and he invited many. And at the dinner, he sent his slave to say to those who, have, who had been invited, come for everything is ready now. So, so important. Come, for everything is ready now. Hmm. Then in verse 18 it says, But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Another said, I married a wife. And for that reason, I cannot come. He didn't even say, please. <laughs> he didn't even say, please consider me excused. He says, I, I married a wife, I can't come. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I think that's significant. <laughs> and the slave came back and reported this to his master. Then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, by the way, angry really means angry in this passage. The Lord has emotions. He became angry and said to his slave, Go out into the streets, into the lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Another very significant verse. And a slave said to his master, and he said, Master, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And his master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges, and compel, basically beg them to come in, so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. Okay, first of all, I'm not going to preach on the church. Like, I want our church to grow. I want to see every seat filled. And I want to see when we expand to the next worship center, the next side, I want to see that plum filled up. There is no lie about that. But again, I'm not interested in building a church. I want to see lives transformed. Because if lives are transformed, I'm not going to keep y'all away. It's like seriously. If I talk you into coming, you can be talked out of coming. <laughs> it's the truth. And that's why I don't much care for apologetics. Because if I could talk someone into the faith, they can be talked out of the faith. I think they need an experiential thing, truthfully. Because you can't be talked out of an experience. But anyway, so I'm not going to preach on the church, so, so don't hear it like that. But also understand we want our church to grow Amen. because we believe what the Lord is doing here is significant. Right. Like, I'm proud of what God's doing. Like, I'm, really, like, I'm just really proud of what God's doing. Someone sent me a text the other day. It is a prophetic word. 
They send a prophetic word, and it was one that like, someone gives me a word occasionally, and a word is when someone speaks to you, and you believe it's of the Lord. Let's just say that, because when you speak prophetically, it's just, I heard, and I spoke it out, okay? It's not voodoo, mama, juju, weird stuff. That's not what it is. It's, it's I heard, or I felt, or I sent, so I said it. It's like how you could feel burdened to call someone and say, hey, I just want you to know I love you today or send someone a text. You're giving someone a word. So anyway, they sent this to me. And at first I giggled because I thought it was the most silly thing I'd ever heard. They said, I see River City. I see River City turn as, as a bug zapper. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is just getting really, really weird here, right? <laughs> like I like weird, but let's, come on. It's a bug zapper. And then they went on. They said, what we are seeing is the light is so intense that people are going to continue to come into encounters with the presence of the Lord. And it actually changes their life forever. Because, and then they went on and they start quoting verses like where you become dead and now you're fully alive, right? And it's the light that draws them in. It's not a man on a stage and it's not a man playing a guitar. It's the presence of the Lord. It's the light. So anyway, I was like, hallelujah, that's a good word. So here, here's what I believe. The Lord, we're not talking about the church, but I believe the Lord is changing us from, I wouldn't say changing us. I think revival family is always who we are and always who we're going to be. I think it's, a, it's just, this is what our church is. But over the next few weeks, we're going to go down this journey because I believe the Lord is calling his people to his table. And I believe that you don't have to get up from the table. I can actually stay at the table. Like, well, I get up and I go to work and, and I, I go play, pay people visits. I do all these things. You all do things. I go to the grocery store. You, you go there, whatever. But I can live with my heart in this position called the table. And it's at that place that I find complete satisfaction in my relationship with the Lord. All right. So, so what is so significant? First of all, I want to look at the first two verses and that'll really be the jumping board. All right. So, but he said to him, a man was giving a big dinner. Let's look at this from the point of view. Jesus spoke in parables, which meant that some things he spoke metaphorically, right? Or he spoke with hyperbole. A man, let's picture him as the father, as father God. So father God was giving a big dinner and he invited many. Big means big. <laughs> it means great. It means expansive. It also means a loud dinner. By the way, I've been to quiet dinners. You know what those are? Those are like what you eat at a funeral. Everyone's in mourning, right? But a loud dinner insinuates that you are coming to a party where you are going to celebrate. And not just a celebration, but you're going to celebrate more wildly than you've ever celebrated before. All right? So, and dinner means feast, meal. It means that... It's so, it's so neat, this word dinner. It means feast, meal. It means that actually every course is the main course. So you're not building up to, you're not building up to something better and better and better. It's like, ta-da, it's all really, really good. <laughs> it's, like, it's like when I eat, and, and I don't know, some of y'all probably like, I don't, I know when you eat it, it all ends up in the same place. I get it. But if I have multiple things on my dish, I want to eat one thing at a time. Yes, I'm going to eat my green beans, I'm going to eat my mashed potatoes, and I'm going to eat the meat, right? I'm going to... <laughs> this isn't building it up. This is everything is of substance. <laughs> Verse 17 says, in the dinner hour, and at the dinner hour, 
he sent his slave to say, those who had been invited, come, for everything is ready now. Now, I'll be honest, for years, again, I've read this passage as if we are looking at it from the point of view of when we go to heaven. And I want to propose to you that this, I don't believe this passage has anything to do at all with heaven. I believe it has to do with right here and right now. And I want to show it to you. I really do believe this because this changes the way we live our life. At least it's really changing the way I view things. Or let me say this. It's, it's actually adding fuel to the fire to the way that I believe. All right? Because we preach stuff like this. Well, let me, let me go over these words so you can understand. It says, come for everything is ready now. Come for everything is ready now. Come means arrive. Come on, arrive. Show up, right? Arrive. Come right now. Everything means everything. It means that it, <laughs> everything means everything. It means that it, it would mean that the Lord isn't holding anything back, that everything that it is in his kingdom is available for right here and right now. Now, again, if you're in here today and you're praying for a breakthrough, you're waiting for a healing, you're waiting for a healed restoration of relationship or marriage, I'm not discounting the fact that you are waiting. But I am saying that come for everything is ready right now. Would you go check that? Come for everything is ready right now. Someone. Everything is ready right now. Ready means prepared and it's on time. Growing up, my grandmother would say, we're going to eat at 1 o'clock. You know what 1 o'clock meant? 3 o'clock. <laughs> Which, you know what that meant? It meant everyone was going to be hangry, right? <laughs> As I say hangry, I think of Elton John right now on that Snickers commercial. But anyway, that's not, that's not spiritual at all. Ready means everything is prepared, it's on time. It means that it no longer needs to wait. Now means even now, right here at this moment. Okay, good. Thank you. Too often, we say we need to wait to heaven for whatever, but again, for whatever we necessarily need. And like some of us, so let, me, let me rephrase it like this. Like again, it's going to be really amazing there. And I think it's to be more amazing than we could ever think, ask, or imagine. It really is. But I believe that right here can be this way too. That's right. Come on. And that's what I'm learning. Yeah. This is really what I'm learning to walk in is that that's really amazing. But this life is really, really amazing that's what right. God has given us. And for most of my life, if I can be honest, from the time that I was a teenager and my dad and mom, and I love them, and I'm so thankful I had this experience, but they put a baseball bat in my hand and it was always about succeeding. It was always about getting better. It was always about the next accomplishment, the next accomplishment, the next accomplishment. And you know what's happened is that's spilled over into my adult life, which a lot of ways that's why I get to do what I've done because I'm driven. But sometimes you don't enjoy what the Lord is doing right here in your midst because you're always thinking about next, 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 next. And the Lord wants us to know that right now is pretty stinking good, folks. Some of you all need to hear that as the word of the Lord. Like right now is really, really good because... We do not want to miss out on what he's doing, okay? We do not want to miss out on what he's doing. The Bible teaches we can experience the kingdom of God right now. Matthew 10, 7. Matthew 10, 7 says, And as you go, preach, the kingdom of heaven is at 
hand, which, and then, you know, the next part, heal sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, freely you receive, not freely give, but it says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As you go, preach it's at hand. It means that it's like, it's right here, Tim, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You can come to the kingdom right here and right now. It's, <coughs> and, then, and then Luke 17, 21 says the kingdom of God, The kingdom of God is in your midst. Well, I thought it was there. <laughs> like, it, it's, the, the kingdom of God is, it's not yet, but it's now. And there's revelation in that too, by the way. Most of, not the book of Revelation, but revelation is, is realistically it happens when two things that seem con contradictory in the word, right? It's when two contradictory things and it's like there's truth somewhere in between that. It'd be like, <laughs> it'd be like Paul saying, your children, you're still drinking milk. And Jesus says, he who comes to me must come as a little child. Well, which one is it? It's both, <laughs> Somewhere in there, there's revelation. I don't get it. You all can just pick up that piece later. But anyway, you, it's all kinds of stuff. You know, Jesus came that you may have life and life abundant. But then Paul says, I die daily. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's, that's like, I, it's, which one is it? Yes. It's yes. Romans 14, 17, which we talked about, I can't remember, last week, is two weeks ago. It says, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's not stuff, but it's righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. Switch is saying that I can have righteousness, joy, and peace right now because the Holy Spirit's in me, and I'm in Him, and I can experience this right now. I don't have to wait there to go have joy, right? I don't have to wait to have joy. I can have it right now. And a lot of this is a decision to live this stuff out. And some days you got to decide a little harder, <laughs> right? you got to decide. I, it's not try a little harder. It's I'm going to decide a little bit harder. Uh, I'm going to believe a little bit harder. It's like, you know, yes, I'm going to walk this out right here and right now. This means that we can experience heaven now. Again, it's really good there. I just think it can be really good here, right? It means we can have healing now. That means we can have grace and mercy. It means we can have righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit right now. Again, it doesn't mean we have to wait for it, right? I'm just waiting, brother, till I get sanctified, glorified, and I spend eternity. No, it's right now. The world does not need a church that says, I need to get the hell out of here, right? I need to get out of here so that we can be okay. No, I'm okay because he's taken care of me and he's good and his love endures forever. And maybe, just maybe, because I can respond when everything is hard and difficult and I can be like, you know what, he's still good. Maybe, just maybe, that speaks louder than words. Maybe, just maybe, if we lived out the things that this book says that we should believe, maybe, just maybe, we'd experience the greatest revival we would ever experience. I'm fully convinced of it, man. <coughs> they, look, they need, people need to see an evidence of a transformed life. That's it, man. 
They don't need you to talk with them. They don't need your pithy Facebook posts. They don't need my pithy Facebook posts. They don't need those email chain letters that say that if you don't share with 10 people that you're going to die and go to hell. They don't need that garbage. What they need is to see the Holy Spirit. What they need to see is Colossians 1.20, Christ in us, the hope of glory. You don't have to wait because dinner's ready. <laughs> it's ready. But what if I don't feel it? It's okay. Don't receive this as guilt, shame, and condemnation. Receive this as an invitation. I, I promise you, like, I'll just say this, like, you will never, we actually, Tatum and I were, had a, a little text conversation this week, and it really blessed my socks off when she said, her daughter says she likes my preaching because I don't scream at him. <laughs> Blessed me. You don't need me to convict you, and you don't need me to wave my finger at you. You don't. What you need is to come into the presence of the Lord and allow his spirit to begin to convict you and him transform you. That's it. Uh-uh. I won't wag my finger. I'll tell you what I think's right and wrong, but I'm not going to lecture you. That's right. I'm going to keep pointing to him. Right. Yeah. And keep pointing to him. And keep pointing to him. So, if he says, come, everything is ready right now, and it is, then the next part of the story, it gives the reasons why we miss out on it right now. Okay. So, again, this next part may sound hard, but it's, it's not meant to be. It just, it's just the word, okay? But this is the stuff that I've been wrestling with. We miss out on the feast that's available now. Why? Well, look at verse 18. It says, But they all alike began to make excuses. So picture this. The father, the master, he says... Come, everything's ready right now. I've got this table. I've got this big banquet spread out before them. Tell them everything's ready. And it says, but they all alike began to make excuses. The word excuses means that they actually, it wasn't, they made an excuse. It means that they rejected. And it actually means that they refused. It's like, I'm digging my heels in, man, right? And they're like, I was thinking, that, like you all seen kids when they're like, they dig their heels in and they say, no. That's what's going on right here, is that they just flat rejected and refused the invitation. Now, cultural peculiarity is that these guys would have already received an RSVP invitation that they had already agreed to go. What does that mean? It's like we, we got a wedding invitation in the mail this, next, this past week. We need to RSVP, which means we are going. And then... The master sent his slaves out to say, that thing that you agreed to come to, it's time. Okay? What does this look like? I believe that each one of us have already RSVP'd. In this room, if you've given your life to Jesus, we have all RSVP'd saying that, that I want Matthew 6.10, whatever's there, I want it here. And whatever's not there, I, I don't want it here. I just want your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I, 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 I'm RF, I, I, have, I believe that you came and died for me. I believe that I was eternally separated from you, God. And I believe that you sent your son to pay a price for me, right? And, and, and so I'm going to repent of my sins and I'm going to ask you to forgive me. And I'm going to begin to follow you, right? That's your RSVP. And so most of us, we've all done that. 
But it goes a step further because there's more. That's what we talked about here for a year and a half. There's more than praying a prayer to go to heaven. It's about bringing heaven to earth so others can pray that prayer. All right. If this passage again isn't about heaven and it's instead is about right now, then the following excuses are extremely important to look at so that we don't make the same mistakes. I just read that verbatim because I think that's really important. Let me read that. If the, following, if the passage above is, is not about heaven, but it's about right now, then the following excuses are extremely important to look at so that we do not make the same mistakes. So based off the, the upcoming excuses, um, I, I, just, I, I want to list just a few reasons why we miss out on the feast right now. Okay. The first is, is that we have an elevated value or an elevated view of possessions. We have an elevated view of possessions. Now, again, I'm not being mean. I'm just I'm going to show you this stuff. It says, the first one said to him, I bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Again, this is about right now because I promise you, like if y'all just... If you go buy a house, <laughs> if you go buy a house and for some reason you end up, you die, you go to heaven, you know, you're there, you're probably not going to go, look, I just signed a 30-year mortgage fixed rate. I, I need to go take care of this stuff. You, you're not going to do that, Right? All right. I mean, like, you're not going to do that. Like, who in their right mind would say, look, I need your way. You're not going to do that. <laughs> let, me, let me say this. I believe prophetically, he says, I bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. But this isn't just about land. This is about our stuff. Money and wealth are not bad things. I think the Bible, it says the love of money is the root of all evil, right? It's the obsession over it, yes. Like, I believe, like, April pray checks in the mail. Like we pray that over our church, not because we want to be wealthy. It's because we want to redistribute the resources that the enemy currently has. So if that's weird for you, I'm sorry, but that's what we want to do. Why should he have all the fun with the money when we can start taking care of God's kids? So anyway, so money, wealth are not bad things. Things are not bad things, but if those things possess you, that's when it gets tricky. If those things make you lay awake in bed at night because you're obsessing over them, trust me, someone that has obsessive compulsive tendencies, if those things, and I'm not going to list things, you know what those things are, if it's any of those things. Maybe if something popped in your head, that's what the Lord wants to begin to deliver you from, all right? So it could be all kinds of things. I'm not going to list them. I don't need to. The next excuse is we have an elevated view of our own strength and our own ability. We have an elevated view of our own strength and our own ability. Um. Verse 19 says, and I'll, I'll explain this in a second. Another one said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. I bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Here's, here's what's fascinating. 
Fought, the dude had five yoke of oxen, which suggests he was incredibly wealthy because the most anyone, normal people would have had was one single yoke, but most people only had one ox. So he has 10. He has 10 total, suggesting he's very wealthy. So if the dude was very wealthy, why does he need to go and try them out? Because chances are he didn't need to do that work himself. He could afford to have someone else to do the work for him. But because he was such a control freak, he felt the necessity that i got to go have my hands on this even though I can afford not to work because I don't trust someone else to do what I can do. Some of us can hear that, and this is really hard for me right here, is, is like when they taught us church planting, they were, like, they were like this, if someone, and this, and I just, this is just what we were taught, if someone can do something 90% as good as you, empower them to do it because you're going to bog yourself doing everything else. Some of us, there's some things that we need to allow other people to do in our own life. And it's not because we're wealthy. It's because they need to learn to grow up and start taking care of things. It'd be like even with our own kids, like we have them do, we do too much for us if we're really honest for some of our kids. And they need to start doing some stuff on their own. The problem is we think, well, I can do it much quicker and much better. And then we just take care of them. And the next thing you know, they're 25 years old and they're living in our basement. No offense, but I'm just saying... <laughs> I shouldn't have said that because that's not necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> anyway, anyway, I love you, Morgan. But, and we're just kidding. But anyway, you understand what I'm saying. There's some things we need to take our hands off of, right? There's some things that we say, I can't let go of. There's some things in your life that you're like, you know what, I just do this really well, but you know what, maybe, just maybe, you need to start showing someone else how to do it because one day you're not going to be there and you're going to be left standing there. But the problem is that we think we're the saviors of the world and we're not the saviors of the world. He is the savior of the world. And before the foundations of the earth, he decided that he was going to be slain. So why don't we trust him? So what I'm saying is that we so desperately need to take our hands off of the will. How many of us have tried to do things under our own strength? Now let's take it from our own personal stuff, but let's take it to the things of the Spirit. How many of us have tried to do things under our own strength? I'm going to fix this relationship. I'm going to fix this marriage. I'm going to fix these finances. I'm going to fix this job. I'm going to fix this addiction that I struggle with and struggle with and struggle with and struggle with. How many of us have tried to manipulate circumstances to get to a certain place in life where you're like, I need to coach up to this person because if they do they'll see me or how many of us have tried to manipulate circumstances so that you can gain favor in the eyes of man rather than getting seated because right before this by the way in this passage in Luke 14 Jesus actually talks about humility and he says go take the lowest seat at the table because it's so much better to get seated at the low end of the table and then you end up getting promoted because your humility is actually what qualifies you to be seated in the best seat right there's all kinds of stuff going on how many of us fail to literally Psalm 4610, foundational verse of this church. Be still and know that I am God. In other words, get down, sink down as if you're taking a seat, right? Remember, this is so review right here. Be still and know that I'm God, which again, if you want to know what it looks like, it's thump, thump, boom, boom, boom. 
I, I'm not doing the Macarena while I'm sitting. I, it's actually just getting seated in a position of rest and saying, you are God, I am not, and I trust you in this situation. Zechariah 4, 6 says that it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by your spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And so we need to be a people that say, I'm going to take my hands off of it. And if I can do something, I will. But I'm going to take my hands off of absolutely everything. And I'm going to begin to trust the Lord God Almighty to move. Amen. So what do we need to take our hands off of? I don't need to list them. You all know them. I just happen to believe the Holy Spirit's so good, He's probably speaking to you right now. Because what happens, again, this whole premise is these guys missed out on what was going on right now because the first had an elevated view of his stuff, the second had an elevated view of his own ability, and like, for us, it's like, we could do a lot of stuff. We, we could, care for how to do it, because some of the stuff I do want to do, I just want the Lord to tell us to do it, if that makes sense. But we could go out and bang on every door. We could throw a big bouncy house and draw a big crowd. But what if we just become a people that host the presence of the Lord to such a degree that it draws people in, like the bug zapper prophetic word? you understand what I'm saying? All right, point three. This is act now. This is kind of a traditional three-point sermon, but it's actually six points, so there you go. <laughs> I failed preaching class. I didn't, I didn't, but I would now. We have an elevated view of secondary relationships. We have an elevated view of relationships. Causes us to miss out on right now. Relationships are really important. And this one I felt really cautioned by. Because what have we preached on the last six weeks? Revival. Family. That's a very good thing. But when that thing replaces this thing, there's a problem. Okay? When that thing replaces this thing, when, when, when this thing replaces this thing, there's a problem. Okay? And so, so we need to be very careful of this. And again, I'm preaching to myself. You have no idea. You have no idea how much I'm preaching to myself right now. Another one said, I married a wife, and for that reason, I cannot come. Scholars point out that in the first year of a marriage, so what was neat, and in, in, in the law, Old Covenant, that if April and I were had, we married 15 half years ago, yep, more in love than we've ever been. But anyway, <laughs> I'm going to start blushing. <laughs> anyway, we married 15 and a half years ago. And that first year of my marriage, according to law, that if there would have been a war, I would not have been required to go off to war during that first year of my marriage. Why? Well, the expectation was you needed to create an heir. And so you had to produce a child during that first year. That's what they did it for because that was what was really important. And so this man, he kind of twists the law, which is what the religious spirit does, because it doesn't, let me phrase it like this. He uses this thing 
But this man would have received an RSVP at least 90 days beforehand. Now, most of the marriages were arranged, and they were quick arrangements. So, in theory, this man would have known about the dinner party way before he ever got married, and he should not have, in good conscience, scheduled both things to coincide with one another. So what in the world does that mean? <laughs> if our views of people become too elevated, you're going to get let down. If you're depending on me, and I'm just being honest, or anyone, if you're depending on me to be your sole source of nourishment, you're going to be left for wanting. That's because I am probably going to miss it and preach some really bad sermons over the upcoming years. You're going to be like, I wish he had just, what was that, right? That was a train wreck. Let's be for real. Let's, let's be for real. Or if you're going to depend on me to, to again, and I'm, this, this isn't me and I'm not, this isn't coming from anywhere. But if you need your affirmation, if you need your affirmation, if I'm the only source that you think you'd need affirmation from, and if I just am thinking about something else and I'm not paying close enough attention and I don't give it to you and it crushes your whole world, there's, there's something going on there. Does that make sense? And, and sometimes this happens just in life in general. People let you down. We have expectations that we put on people. And let's be for real. Sometimes the expectations we put on people are very unfair. And, and because we may not know people fully, and, and so we think that they're this, but we find out they're this, and, and then we get offended that they're not what we thought they were, but they never were what we, that, what we thought in the first place, and so why are we upset at that, that they, we want them to be something that they're not? Right. And we see this a lot, see this a whole lot, that we just expect a lot of some people, and I think, like one, I do expect a lot out of people, Probably, at, probably to an unfair degree. I expect a lot of staff people. I expect a lot of people. I expect a lot of, out of people who say they have a call of God on their life. I really do. <laughs> and like, I'm like, you've got to be held to a high standard because you're judged to a higher standard. But just in general, just in general, it, don't put unfair expectations on people, folks. Because again, when they don't meet your need, you're going to feel let down. It's like this. Every time something goes wrong, and I'm not telling you not to do this. I'm telling you be very careful, okay? Like, I think you all need someone that you can confide in, and I think you need people that you can trust with, like, the deepest things in your life that you would not talk to anyone else about that. You need people as willing to carry your prayer burdens, if that makes sense. But if it becomes more important to share your prayer burden than for you to ever actually pray to the Lord yourself. Do you understand? Because what happens, what happens if they don't pick up the phone? Oh, my life's a mess. No, it's not. Maybe they didn't pick up the phone because they had their own mess they were going through in that moment. And maybe, just maybe, this needs to be between you and the Lord. Just this one time. Who knows? What I'm saying is don't expect this from other people. Because it causes you to miss out on what is available right now. Right. Does that make sense? Makes sense. And this is hard stuff. 
Because I like this is a really, really hard one. Because, like I want y'all to love each other more than you have ever loved any church people in your whole life. Like, that's my heart. Like, I want you to be like, I can't stand not to be around these people. Not, I can't stand to be around these people. I can't stand not to be around them. There's a difference. There's a difference. There's a, there's a, if you're gone, I told April, I said, I pray. I pray when our people miss on a Sunday that it makes them sick to their stomach because they miss the people so badly. So if you get sick, it's my fault, but... But you understand. But also, on the same end, let's, let's not elevate those relationships more important than the relationship we have with Him. Okay? Okay? Because that's what's going on in this story. So what's the solution? Because it would be wrong. Like, I preached this message nine years ago. I found it back in my Google Drive. I preached this, at least this, some of this. Like, it's completely different. I'm going to be honest. It was, I was looking at my notes and I'm like, it's awful. I can't believe I preached that. I feel bad for that church. <laughs> It'd be wrong to preach like don't do this, this, this without offering a solution. Like I, it, it does no good to go to the doctor and say, and they look at you and they go, you're sick. And, they, and they're like, I'll send you the bill, all right? It does no good. It's like you get the diagnosis, but you, you need the treatment, right? So what's the solution to not what's the solution to not valuing possessions too much? What's the solution to to not to yeah to, to what's the solution to not trusting in our own strength too much? And what's the solution to not trusting in our friendships too much? I think it's to become Obsessed with the one that invited you to the table in the first place. <laughs> Listen, and, and I can prove it. I can prove this point. We need to get obsessed with him. Because later on in this story, like these guys give their excuses. It says that the master got angry, which is crazy. And angry means his knuckleheads, right? And look at verse 21. And the slave reported back to his master. And he said, Then the head of the household became angry and said to him, Go out at once into the streets and the lanes of the city. And he says, Bring here the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Yes. Yes. So bring the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Now, we need to bring the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame in here. But I think I want you to look past the natural right here. I want you to look at this from uh, like a prophetic mindset, just for just for a moment. What? Why would he say bring the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame? Because they're in the the antithesis. They're the exact opposite of the three that made the excuses. Look, he says bring the poor. Why would he bring the poor in? He brought the poor in because they had nothing in the first place. And so if the poor got brought to this great banquet spread, they would not get enamored with exactly, like I think like the things at the table are amazing, but they wouldn't be enamored with just the stuff at the table. They would be enamored with the one that said, hey, come and partake in this. And then, and then he said, bring in the crippled. The crippled were used to people, other people, other people 
carrying them everywhere all over the place. They relied not even on their own strength, but they relied on other people's strength. And the Lord says, go get the ones that aren't even willing to rely on anyone else's strength because maybe, just maybe, they'll begin to rely on my own strength. This isn't trying or striving. This is simply abiding in the Lord's presence. And then he says, bring in the blind and the lame. Again, if we're looking at the blind and the lame from the point of relationships, who did the blind and the lame have? Nobody. Why? Like you could look at this from all types of points of view, like Bartimaeus, right? He's not blind Bartimaeus anymore, but, but blind Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus means son of Timaeus. Timaeus actually means ruler. But the son of the ruler was out begging on the streets. Why? Because his dad would have been embarrassed by his blindness and would have received it. Other people would have thought it was because of their sin that their son was blind. And so blind and lame people would have had nobody to rely on in the first place other than themselves because the family and everyone else went, we're done with you. It must be your fault. There's something wrong with you. We don't want other people to think that we have something wrong with us. So good luck to you. And so he invites the blind and the lame to this place, to this banquet. Why? Because they did not have an elevated view of anyone else. And when they got put in this seat at the banquet table, they could just sit. And it's crazy because I'm saying a blind person begins to stare at the one that invited them into this place that they had no business being at in the first place. I believe that he invited them in because it's, again, the exact opposite of what he's wanting. So what does this translate for us? The Lord is wanting us to lay these things aside and just come to his table and just say, I'm really appreciative. Like, I love the healing that's at the table. I love the safety that's at the table. That's Psalm 23 that we've quoted a lot here recently. I feel like every time we sing Fight Our Battles, that just comes like really, really heavy to me. But the Lord is saying, let's not get caught up in the stuff that we have. And I believe that we'll look at some of these secondary blessings that are actually at his table. But the Lord of hosts is saying, get obsessed with the one that invited you to the place in the first place. Does that make sense? And that's an invitation. Because he's absolutely beautiful. He's absolutely beautiful. He's breathtaking. I'm actually done. If you want to turn that off. Logan, I'm going to ask you to come up here too. But he's inviting us into this place. And I believe as a church, he's inviting us to this position seated at his table. Like there's all kinds of great stuff when we start talking about this too. It's like Psalm 110 is blowing up right now too, which talks about authority and all these other things because Christ sat down with him. But anyway, he's inviting you to this position. And the question is whether or not that we will no longer become obsessed with these secondary things. And these things are not bad. Possessions aren't bad because the Lord can use them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Your own natural abilities, the Lord gave them to you. Yeah. But if they become the obsession and if that becomes the one thing that you have to do, 
then there's something that needs realigned, right? We want His strength and His ability. And then the relationships, if we have too high of a value on the relationships around us, and I'm not telling you that you don't need friends. I think you need friends more now than you've ever needed them. What I'm saying is, is that don't let them become your God. That's right. 